and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. On today's episode, we sit down with Reese Cohen, Principal Consultant at Fresh Leaf Analytics, an Australian medicinal cannabis consultancy. We talk why the cannabis space, technology and innovation go hand in hand. We unpack the economic potential of the Australian cannabis industry. And we put to bed any confusion on terminology you might hear, like what's the difference between THC, CBD and hemp? Rob and I are so excited to share this one with you. Enjoy. You're a self-proclaimed cannabis nerd. How did your journey into cannabis start? Well, I've always been interested in drugs and drug policy, like since I was a teenager, I guess. And then I ended up in, in this, I was doing my, my uni degree, so I did a Bachelor of Arts, basically. And I, I majored in, in um, politics and economics. But I, I, um, I decided that I wanted to, I wanted to do an honours year, an honours thesis. Um, and... Uh, I was sort of searching around for a topic that I thought would keep my interest for a full year. And I'm like, well, you know, the only thing that, that, that I can really think of at the moment is like, you know, what's going on at the moment, this is 2015, you know, what's going on at the moment in Colorado and, and Washington state, like cannabis legalization in the States, like that's, you know, just happening now. Um, it was kind of, you know, it was pretty crazy times. And so I was like, okay, well, cannabis, you know, um, my, my, my first project that I really wanted to run was, asking the question, why has a stick of weed not changed price in Sydney in 20, 30 years? Because, you know, I thought, well, that, that, that's, that's, that's pretty weird. So, so that is the case from all the people that I've spoken to um, who've, who've been around. Um, it's 20 bucks for a stick. It's been that way, you know, in, in popular memory for, for decades. Why on earth hasn't the price moved? So that, that was my first um, question that I wanted to try and answer. But then I quickly realized that <laughs> researching illicit drug markets is really bloody hard. Um, and doing any kind of primary research is super difficult, especially in your honours year. So anyway, I ended up doing my honours thesis on the political and economic sort of history of cannabis legalisation in, in the States, and I just got totally stuck into it. So I spent a whole year doing nothing but thinking about and writing about cannabis and cannabis politics and social policy and drug policy. Um, and uh, Yeah, it was, it was so much fun. I had the best year. I um, Unfortunately, at the time, I got a... I got a pretty average mark for my thesis which which prevented me from running headfirst into a PhD which is what I was probably going to do but I that ended up being a really good thing because um, I would have just spent another three years doing some really narrowly focused pretty much useless um, uh, you know very very theory based um, work uh, but instead of doing that I ended up falling into the, the medical cannabis sector which just you know legalized like a few months after I finished my honours thesis so Right place, right time, basically. Yeah. When you did your thesis, I know you say you didn't get the best mark, but sure. it was 100% head first into it. You can go down a rabbit hole looking at information, what's going on in the North American market. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a quick sort of uh, recap and spiel of what is going on over there? Wherever you look with regards to cannabis, things tend to move very, very quickly. So if you don't keep your eye on the ball, uh, you, very, you very quickly find yourself um, out of touch with what's going on. And that's definitely where I'm at with the States at the moment. As soon as I started working in the legal medical cannabis industry in Australia and sort of got knee deep in that, um, it, it turns out that the States is pretty much irrelevant for as far as Australian, the Australian industry goes, because they still have federal prohibition, which means that those products in the States aren't, 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 uh, aren't regulated. They don't meet the kinds of quality standards that we would require in Australia. And you can't export any, any THC containing products from the States. In fact, I think it was only, 
basically last year or the year before that you could start exporting CBD products from the States. So, so and, you know, basically, you know, the, the world of, of legal cannabis is divided into the United States and everywhere else. And everywhere else in the world kind of talks to each other and does business with each other. And then the States is just this huge, massive bubble that, that is sort of off to one side by itself. So, but in the States, what's been going on is more and more progress. I mean, since, um, since Colorado and Washington State legalized, there's been several more uh, recreationally legal states, a bunch more medically legal states. I think it's now the case that a majority, uh, a majority of Americans now live somewhere with either legal medical or legal recreational or both. While at the same time, it's federally illegal. And in theory, you know, anyone operating a cannabis business in the States could be arrested by a federal cop and put in prison for felony drug trafficking. You know, so it's still, that's still, that unique part of the States is still there. But uh, it's a very dynamic market in the States. There's, there's tons of business activity going on. Um, and then, of course, you know, each state is different to each other state and there are difficulties transporting material even across state lines. So really it's a collection of, of quite separate um, markets. That, it, <laughs> that makes sense. Do you think it, do you think it, those things was either early this year or late last year when the, the changes to the ACT laws for mm -hmm. the amount of plant growth they could have, do you think that we'll start seeing the similar sort of things here as different states open up? Cause I guess if I'm right in my research is what ACT pushed forward goes against what the Commonwealth law was. And to me, that's pretty much already starting to open up a can of worms similar to the same problems that are existing in North America. It's an interesting one. Yeah, I, so the ACT, for people who don't know, uh, they passed a bill decriminalizing personal possession and limited personal cultivation of cannabis. So it's, uh, what, two plants per person, four plants per household, and you can have some quantity on your person. I can't, I can't, and you can gift, you can gift cannabis to each other, but you can't sell. I believe that's the case, but that's, that's territory law. Federal law is that's all illegal. And the police in the ACT are all federal police. So it is a bit of a weird conflict. It's similar to the States in many ways. You're right. Because the ACT didn't go very far with their legislation. Like they didn't try and legalize the commercial cultivation and sale of cannabis. It didn't create the kind of conflict that we see in say, you know, California or Colorado. But it is, it's an interest, it's a symbolic move in, in my mind. I don't think that the ACT decriminalization is going to meaningfully affect anyone's lives. I think anyone who wanted to grow a few plants in their backyard was probably already doing it. And, you know, cannabis consumption remains the same. But it was interesting because a lot of us were expecting the feds to come down hard on it because the federal government can override territory legislation. Um, they did that with same-sex marriage and they did that with euthanasia. And, uh, and we were expecting them to do the same with, with, with this, but they didn't. So maybe they didn't want to pick a fight. Maybe the, there were some other political things at play, but it was interesting to, to see them take more of a hands-off approach. So maybe that is something that we can look forward to in the future. I think um, at the moment that the next state to really watch out for is Victoria. So they've got a, a current um, state-level inquiry into illicit drug use, including cannabis, um, and uh, that's been championed by uh, Fiona Patton, um, who's a, who's a state, state politician down there, um, who's awesome on drug law reform. So I think probably Victoria will be the state to watch. Um, yeah, Victoria was actually the state that forced the federal government to legalize medical cannabis back in the day. So they were going to pursue the, with their own medical cannabis scheme at a state level. And uh, that was all set to go. And then the feds came in and said, well, hold on, hold on a second. Like, let's, let's do this together. Um, let's do this at a federal level. This is an important piece of legislation. You know, 
but it was the it was the Victorians who really forced their hand. So I think I think if we're going to see meaningful reform, um, it's going to probably come from Victoria first. I would assume. For those who don't know, the difference between THC, CBD, and um, if yeah. you could give your perspective and definition yeah. of that. Sure. So cannabis sativa is the is the plant that we're talking about. And when it's cultivated for medical or recreational purposes, we refer to it as cannabis or marijuana. I'd partly ever say marijuana, but cannabis is the, is the technical word. And then if we're cultivating it, it for to turn it into textiles or food um, or fuel, um, then we're talking about a, subs, a, a strain of cannabis that we call hemp. So hemp plants are grown to be nice and big and tall and, and mostly are after the, the, the stalk and the stems and the seeds. And uh, cannabis plants are grown differently and usually they're grown in order to produce uh, more flowers or, or buds, um, which are then turned into medicinal recreational products. But within, within any cannabis plant, we, there are these chemicals, these quite unique chemicals that are referred to, they're called cannabinoids and they're named after the cannabis plant. So we found the cannabis plant first, then we found that they include, they have these, these chemicals in them and we call those cannabinoids. And the plants naturally produce these chemicals in various quantities and ratios, but the most common cannabinoid is THC or a Delta nine tetrahydro cannabinoid. I can never get that right. THC. <laughs> <Sounds> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that, and that, and that is the, the ingredient that, that causes intoxication or a high that also has medical properties. The second most common uh, cannabinoid uh, is uh, cannabidiol or CBD. And that doesn't cause intoxication, but, but has some other um, medical, um, medical effects. And then there's about, depending on who you ask, you know, between 100 and 300 other, we call them minor cannabinoids. So these are chemicals that are found in tiny, tiny amounts, usually in very trace quantities. And we know almost nothing about those chemicals because we haven't had the opportunity to study them um, sufficiently. So, you know, if we're looking at, for example, the way in which cannabis has been used in clinical trials, Lots of people have done clinical trials on THC. There's been a, a bit of research on CBD. And then beyond those two chemicals, there's been basically no clinical research um, done on any of the other 100 to 300. So that, that's, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of work left to be done to understand the cannabis plant. I think it's interesting at the moment that you look at, say the market as a whole, if you step back and at the moment you see CBD products absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. whether they're in sports recovery, whether they're in drinks, whether they're in skincare, like if there's been limited research and we're trying to get rid of the stigma around what's going on, seems a bit scammy. What's going on there? What are your thoughts? Well, some of it is, it, it, some of it is scammy. Some of it is literally scams. So here's my, so here's the thing. CBD is medically useful in certain situations and that's provable there has been clinical research done medical scientific research done that proves that cbd has certain medical properties in terms of you know uh usually you know the the best evidence is for a a small number of specific and very serious conditions so pediatric epilepsy you're probably familiar with charlotte figgy um you know who's who's uh now sadly recently deceased i believe um who's a who was a young girl in the states who 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 is credited with, uh, I guess, um, popularizing or bringing public attention to CBD and its use for rare pediatric epilepsy conditions. So Drabe syndrome is, is what, um, what, um, uh, what Charlotte had. And there's, 
a drug that contains CBD manufactured by a British pharmaceutical company is now registered as a medicine in the States by the FDA for the treatment of Drave syndrome. So as far as the evidence goes for Drave syndrome, science is in, it works in certain conditions as a, you know, you know when, when it's used appropriately. The other drug that we know the most about is another drug manufactured by the same company called Sativex or Infiximols. And that's a registered medicine in Australia. And that's registered for the treatment of muscle spasticity associated with multiple sclerosis. So a doctor who sees an MS patient who has those symptoms, who has failed other treatments, can prescribe um, Sativex to that patient. So that's, that's what we know as far as the science goes. Everything else is conjecture. Now, I'm not saying that there's no other medical benefits to cannabis. Clearly there are. And people report that it helps them with any number of different medical conditions, right? But there's also this growing belief that, that CBD is a completely natural, totally safe miracle drug that can cure anything. And that, you know, really, if you're not taking CBD every day, you're probably, you know, harming yourself. You know, that's the kind of, that's the parody of the popular, of some of these popular positions, right? So you've got people putting CBD in, you know, active wear, gummy bears, pillows, um, a whole bunch of nonsense um, products, basically, right? So I, unless you're taking hundreds of milligrams of CBD per day, you're unlikely to be achieving a therapeutic effect of any kind, is what we currently know. So if you're taking a five milligram CBD gummy, that's a placebo effect. If you're rubbing CBD on your skin, that's a placebo effect. If you're putting it on activewear, that's definitely a placebo effect. And it, it, it's, it's a huge part of the sector. It's where a lot of commercial activity goes, but it does, in my mind, you know, it brings the rest of the, of the, of the industry into a bit of disrepute because, you know, people think about CBD and they think about, oh, you know, Pete Evans, you know, and, and um, Kim Kardashian putting it in her gift bags at her parties and, you know, stuff like that. Um, they don't think about, oh, this is a legitimate medical ingredient that, that has potential uses and, you know, is appropriate to use in certain situations. It, it sort of um, dilutes the conversation. But, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a purist in that, in that respect, I guess. You also recently wrote an article around um, the proposed rescheduling of CBD to being an over-the-counter over drug. I think I'm really interested to hear your perspective on that because like we just talked, there's lots of these different products. And I know in Australia, you can only have CBD products that have been derived from, um, from hemp. Is that right? Like, yeah, it, there's certainly the opposite. Well, actually it depends. So here's, so maybe we'll talk about the hemp CBD thing first, and then we can talk about the over-the-counter thing because they're both interesting. So in Australia, medical cannabis is legal. Uh, long story short, doctors can prescribe cannabis products to patients. We have about 130 different products for doctors to choose from, and 90% of those would be imported from overseas. Overseas, it's possible to cultivate hemp plants outdoors with no you know, quality controls, nothing, just like a normal crop. Um, large scale hemp cultivation, then you uh, extract the small amounts of CBD that those plants produce, and you purify that and you put it in a bottle, and then you send it to Australia and you get it prescribed to an Australian patient. So that's happening at the moment. There are products currently being prescribed to Australians that are made from hemp-derived CBD. But if you're in Australia and you're cultivating a hemp crop, you are prohibited from extracting CBD from those plants and putting it in a bottle and giving it to a human. In Australia, if you want to manufacture something that's intended for human therapeutic use, it needs to be done under a medical cannabis license. And that requires, you know, several millions of dollars worth of infrastructure and you know regulatory affairs consultants and 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 it's a pharmaceutical product and you know everything that goes along with that so there's a bit of an uneven playing field at the moment in terms of australian 
producers versus international products. So that's the hemp CBD thing. The low dose over the counter CBD thing. So what's happened is the Department of Health has recommended that we amend our drug regulations to allow CBD in up to 60 milligrams per day. And that's the dose limit that they've recommended. But that should be made available behind the counter at pharmacy. So you speak to your pharmacist about it and your pharmacist decides whether or not it's appropriate to dispense that product to you. So I think this is a good thing. I support this change because we know that thousands and thousands of Australians are currently using unregulated and illegal CBD products. So if, you've, you know, if you're buying CBD online um, or if you're getting it through a Facebook group, um, that's an unregulated product. You can't know what's in it uh, and it's illegal. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big supporter of harm minimization as a, as a drug policy. I think wherever possible, we should allow people to replace illegal products with legal products, you know, and whatever they're doing with it, that's fine. You know, but if we can reduce the potential for harm, then that's, that's a positive thing. So I think even though I have my hesitations about whether 60 milligrams a day is going to do anything for anyone's health, that's, that's a question that hasn't been answered yet. No one has proven that CBD, no one has investigated whether CBD is effective at 60 milligrams a day. Um, it may be, it may not. But I think regardless, people should be able to access regulated products instead of buying stuff online like, that could have anything in it. I think it's um, really interesting when you touched on the big players, the disparity between the small and big players. Yeah. We went to, last year, we went to the Hemp Health and Innovation Expo in, in Brisbane. Yep. Your, first trip in, your first trip in a while, wasn't it? You were excited uh, to jump on the I was, plane. I was excited to jump on a plane. Literally, been, he was like, a take, a, take a photo of me Melbourne Airport next to the luggage. <laughs> you were that excited. I was that excited to go on a plane. I hadn't been on a plane in ages. Yeah. We went up there. What, what, were your, what were your thoughts like? Yeah, look, it was, it was interesting. We went up there. I don't know what sort of expectations we had, sort of none, but just to get a lay of the land on, on what the cannabis industry um, and the hemp industry is like in Australia. And we found that there was, there was a lot of talks by doctors in the yeah. medicinal side, and the other was just full stigma side where you're like, all right, if, if mum and dad walked in here, that'd be right. like, you know. Yeah, you know what I mean? So we found... I suppose the comparison, it was, it was quite stark in a it's sense. Stark. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, on, on what sort of players there are at the moment. Sure. I mean, it's only been around for like five years, I suppose, the industry in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of players are you seeing? Are you seeing the big farmers? Are you seeing the, the doctors and are you seeing the small time entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's, um, well, first of all, like HHI, so that conference you went to, is, is a really um, fascinating event because it does show you all you know, all of the various and, and conflicting aspects of, of the, the cannabis community in Australia, right? Because, you know, it is a pharmaceutical product and, and there are a whole bunch of suits doing pharmaceutical work. Um, and there are also uh, hemp cultivators producing hemp concrete. And there are, um, you know, your classic, um, uh, you know, nimbinites who are there with their tie dyes, you know, saying free the weed. And there's medical doctors, you know, and sort of everyone, in between so that that event in particular is quite eclectic uh, so it's good you, it's good you got, you got a chance to check it out yeah. there's fairies running around man we're listening yeah. to someone talking about how like i think we're specifically talking on um medicinal cannabis doctors australia and we're talking about some of the uh people had anxiety epilepsy fibromyalgia yeah. different stories and benefits around mm. it but and then the next person to come on stage was a green fairy yeah. and i was like what is going on here? It's been a bit of a gear change, huh? Yeah. yeah. It was good. I didn't mind it. It was a bit different. Mm. It's fun. Yeah. And then, and then you've got people just selling bongs 
and vapes, you know, people selling huge um, horticultural equipment, you know, for, for just to the, you know, punters off the street who I mm. guess grow a lot of tomatoes, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah it's, 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 it's fun times. Um, I think that's why I, I think a lot of people are interested in it though. Cause you, you look at the size of, and the, the scope of what mm. the market could be. There's one plant can do all you've talked about concrete. Right. You've talked about farming. We've talked about, um, yeah. it was fibers milk. for clothing. There was yeah, hemp, hemp milk. milk. There was yeah. soaps. There was yeah. lighting, all the different things and jobs that'd be associated yeah. with a market like totally. that. I guess yeah. if you've done your research on, um, mm. North American market, how do you see that sort of market playing out here in Australia? It's very different. So, I mean, for, for better or worse, it's very different. So our medical cannabis uh, legislation and regulation is super conservative. Um, you compare it with any other comparable um, framework around the world. And, you know, you could put Australia up there as one of the most rigorous and tightly controlled medical cannabis frameworks, I, I would argue. So it's, which, which is good and bad. So the positives are, it means that usually, um, you know, if, you, if you've managed to build a successful cannabis company in Australia, um, you're, you're, you're pretty good at your job uh, and, and your company, you know, is, 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 is pretty well set up. If you manage to do it successfully, it's very, very hard, basically, right? Um, and it does mean that the products that we do manufacture here, and there's more coming through sort of every month, are at the highest level in terms of, um, you know, regulatory approvals, quality standards, and that's good because it means they're reliable, they're safe, they're consistent, and they're more easily exported to countries um, who want who want to see products meet certain quality standards. So, you know, Australian cultivated products are currently being exported to you know, Germany and the UK, um, and uh, at, you know, as well as being uh, consumed locally. So that's the positive, I guess. the The downsides to that is it's basically impossible for anyone who doesn't have a few million dollars to start a medical cannabis cultivation or manufacturing company in Australia. So, you know, but I, I've been in this field for a few years and I first started off doing freelance consulting and basically my bread and butter work was what I refer to as disappointment consulting. Um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, people, people would come to me and they go, Hey, you know, I've got a plot of land or yeah, my, you know, my auntie, you know, runs an oil, you know, runs a, a be a tea tree oil company or you know it's something you know i have some kind of interest and i think i might be able to get into cannabis what do you reckon and i'd have to sit down with them and go okay well this is what it looks like this is what's required this is the kind of investment you'd need you know and they'd go away and never come back um so i did a lot of that uh, a lot of disappointing people um and that sucks because there's a lot of latent there's a lot of like untapped energies i think there are so many people that i've met who are like race like if, if I could sweep floors in a cannabis company warehouse, I would be a happy man. You know, um, I just want to do anything to do with, with medical cannabis. I'm really passionate about it, but they're basically locked out because they're, because of how the, because of how our regulations work, um, you know? So unless you're, a, unless you're a big player and you're a serious player, um, there's no room for you in the, in the medical cannabis sector. Um, but of course there's still, you know, the, the, the hemp industry is, 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 is not, is not the same as the medical cannabis industry in Australia. And, you know, that's a space you can play in. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, ancillary services, you know, um, educational initiatives and, um, you know, other things that people can do to sort of play in the field. Yeah. But that's sort of, that, I guess that's, that's how the, the industry is stratified. Do you think it'll boom once it becomes legal um, recreationally in terms of uh, the products and, and all that sort of stuff? And you see more 
entrepreneurs sort of dipping their toes in that space because they can afford it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, as far as the commercial opportunities go, recreational is is a huge opportunity. When when it does happen, it's many years off, I think, in Australia. And, you know, that's for a few reasons. First of all, you know, you've got a, a much bigger market. And also, because of our international drug control uh, laws, you can't export recreational cannabis. So, you know, at the moment, as I was saying, 90% of the products prescribed in Australia are imported medical products. But, you know, should we go down the road of recreational legalization, everything has to be Australian made. You can't import anything. Um, or you're in violation of UN treaties, you know, and UN legislation. Of course, that's also under, under review at the moment. So, you know, who knows what might happen down the road. And then, of course, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the economic benefits that, that, that we see from cannabis, from recreational legalization in other places is a lot of the infrastructure, right? So, you know, brick and mortar stores, you know, because, you know, you can't just sell cannabis in a grocery store. You know, you don't buy shelf space on Woolies. You've got to build, you've got to have a purpose-built physical location. You've got to staff it. Um, you know, you've got everything that goes along with that. So there's a lot of economic activity that goes into um, a new recreational cannabis sector. And, and that's what we've seen in other places is, you know, a lot of economic benefits come from that for sure. Do you think that um, Australia will take any, uh, with New Zealand going through the referendum and it's, it's going to go through a vote over there, do you think that that will play, make an impact here in Australia on, on our, our thoughts as a country? Definitely. Yeah, I think it will. It's hard to say. I mean, first of all, it's not a done deal. So the vote, the referendum is in September. And the last poll that I saw that came out a few days ago was, I think it was like 54% in favour. So it's still pretty pretty close and anything can happen in politics. So it's not a done deal yet. But if that does happen and New Zealand goes ahead and implements that framework, I think that's got to move the needle in Australia to some extent. Um, because also the New Zealand, the proposed New Zealand recreational framework is super... Um, acceptable, you know, socially acceptable. Like they've thought it, it's a very politically minded bill. It's been designed in a way that makes it as likely to pass as, as possible. So, you know, things like no advertising, plain packaging, um, you know, limits on how much you can buy in a day, limits on potency, limits on the kinds of products that can be allowed. Uh, and then on the, on the, um, on the production side of things, government is going gonna, is gonna to set a, a total cap of the amount of cannabis that the whole industry can produce. And you as a company apply to the government to receive a quota of that total cap. The criteria on which the government uses to assign market share to you is based on your social good that, that you're able to do in your community. So, you know, are you giving back to the community? Are you helping Indigenous people and people harmed by uh, drug laws, um, you know, socially. So it's forcing companies to be good social, good corporate citizens. And it, by law, limits the market share per company to 20%. So you're never going to get a huge monopoly player taking over the market and throwing its weight around and trying to relax the regulations. You know, so I think I'm a huge fan of the New Zealand. Oh, and, and, and of course, you know, excise taxes that are, that are then where money is taken from cannabis companies and put back into, to, um, to, uh, drug support services like it's just brilliant it's for as a political document and and as a policy framework i think it's awesome so i think if new zealand votes yes on that i think that'll be a great example around the world actually about what's possible you know we don't it isn't simply a choice between prohibition and total free market do whatever you want um 
you know, we, we are able to design things in any way that suits our, our circumstances. I think that's one of the main reasons why I'm really interested in the medicinal cannabis space or the cannabis industry as a whole is that because it is so new and and it's you're having there's a lot of problem solving that has to happen and they don't have that legacy. So that at the, at the moment, there's a lot of room for innovation and, and the intersection between the cannabis space and technology. So for example, one of the things I'm really interested in is like, how do you track seed to sale? Like the concept of, if you, all these growers are actually now going to have a license and grow things, how do they track the amount of plants they've got going? How do they use technology to make sure that it's growing to the, within the perfect conditions and monitoring environment and growing in under like solar panels or perfect lighting or like, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. It's super cool, right? It's super cool because like, and, and it's like, you know, from a, just from a horticultural perspective, like, you know, we human society has been bioengineering wheat and barley and corn you know, since we encountered these plants and, you know, you know, we have, we have whole government institutions in Australia that have been working on nothing but making these crops bigger and better and stronger, um, you know, for, for decades now. Cannabis has been, has been neglected. You know, we haven't, we haven't put our full scientific focus on how can we make the, what is possible here? Um, you know, can we make it better? Can we make it more efficient? Can we make, you know, how can we increase the quality? Um, no one has had the opportunity to really ask those questions, you know, since prohibition. Um, and we're, and we're just coming out of that now. So, you know, we're, we're just getting to the point in the last few years where in Australia, you've got the CSIRO and La Trobe university and, you know, state, state agriculture departments, you know, DPI in New South Wales cultivating cannabis for the first time ever. Um, and, uh, and this, and, you know, this is also happening in other places around the world. So, um, you know, we're just at the starting point as far as as far as the the, the tech side of, of cannabis research goes, which is pretty cool. Even awareness, right? So, like, right. We, we look at the um, just I, I I see this one example. I go farmers, right? Why aren't more of them growing hemp crops? Because it's it's you get more yield more often, less water, better for the soil, all these different things, oh, yeah. and you're probably getting uh, you're getting a higher dollar per yield. You go, that's that's interesting. Yeah, totally. What, yeah, why? I mean, I, 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 um, I'm not, I'm not a hemp expert by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, any, any time I look at the sector, I go like, so why aren't we cultivating more hemp? Then, like, why are we growing rice? Like, why is Australia growing rice and not? Why are we growing cotton? Why are we growing cotton for God's sakes and not hemp? Like, you can get, as you say, like higher yields per square kilometer. You use half the water. You know, you, you can harvest the seeds for food. Uh, and you know, if we, if we changed our regulations, you could harvest the CBD as well. Like it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a no brainer really. Um, and, uh, it always perplexes me why that hasn't really taken off. And I think it's probably like a legacy thing. Like, you know, people are, you know, farmers have been doing what they're doing for a while. They know cotton, you know, or they know soybeans or whatever it is. Um, and they're kind of, that you've got that path dependency. Maybe it's also like a demand side thing. Like, um, you know, everyone wears cotton clothes and therefore cotton is in high demand and that just keeps perpetuating itself as far as that cycle goes. But um, I think we are starting to see more and more hemp hemp cultivation happen in Australia, I believe. But yeah, it's not, it's not as big as it could be for sure. With everything that's going on, do you think in, in terms of the world, mm. do you think it's a good chance for Australia to, I know probably timing's not great, but to keep, you know, when you say made in Australia, like we've, we're known for, you know, our land and, and how we can grow things, you know, mm. quite, 
quite substantially better than a lot yep. of other countries. Mm. I think it's a good opportunity for Australia to sort of delve into that and be known as the, the cannabis leader in the world or is it sure. in terms of yeah. an opportunity. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, like there's no, there is no reason other than timing. There's no reason why Canada should be the biggest cannabis, one of the biggest cannabis exporters in the world. Right. It's freezing cold. You know, it doesn't have as much sunlight. Um, there's, there's no reason why Canada, there's no reason why Australia can't be infinitely more efficient at producing these crops than, than Canada can. Um, and like you say, you know, the clean green Aussie made brand that, that does carry some weight for sure. Um, especially if we're talking about medicines as well. So our medicines regulations are, are quite well respected around the world. We adhere to the same manufacturing quality standards as all of Europe, um, you know, and North America. So, and New Zealand, um, and we've got a bit of a head start. I mean, we, we kind of tripped over ourselves in the early stages with the commercial framework. We had an opportunity to really to really get a head start on the world and we kind of squandered it because basically the government didn't do its job properly and, uh, and, and didn't think about how these regulations were actually gonna work out, didn't fund the regulator well enough, but we're sort of getting, we're getting that fixed now slowly. So I think we've lost a bit of a head start, but we're, we're, still, we're still in it to win it. And then, of course, you know, one of the long-term things that people always talk about when they talk about cannabis in Australia is, you know, we are a gateway to Asia. We're in the same time zone. We have close relations. We've got, got good trading relationships with a lot of Asian countries. And, you know, although none of them are, are at the point where we can export, uh, you know, any meaningful cannabis products to them, that time will come. Uh, and first it'll be CBD, but then eventually other products as well, probably, you know, down the track. Um, and we're pretty well placed to do that, I think, yeah. You mentioned earlier the medicinal um, benefits of THC. Mm. W- what are those? THC is, is um, uh, can have, I mean, the, in Australia, 70, 70% of patients are prescribed a cannabis product for the treatment of some kind of chronic pain. And that's, that's really where people see uh, the potential for THC is in uh, helping people living with with chronic pain conditions so you know fibromyalgia um, musculoskeletal pain um, even neuropathic pain or arthritic pain inflammatory pain that's that's where it it probably has the most potential at the moment Uh, also sleep Um, so there's a lot of research at the moment going into sleep disorders and insomnia and um, I mean you know the, the thing is that anything that THC can do, CBD might also be able to help with in some way. And we're still trying to sort of tease those out. Um, so it's very rare for Australians to be prescribed a product that only contains THC. Usually it's got some combination of THC and CBD in it. But yeah, I would say, I would say pain, pain is, the, is the big one as far as THC goes. Could you run us through the patient access framework and how that all works? Normally when you go to a doctor and they prescribe your medication, the doctor is only usually going to prescribe your medication that has been registered. So it's registered on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. And what that means is the company that owns the drug has conducted all of this research on the product, including clinical research, and they've demonstrated that it's effective in treating a specific condition. And they go to the regulator and they say, look, guys, this is what it does. And the regulator goes, yeah, I reckon it does. Uh, you're on the list. Uh, and then a doctor can write a prescription for that product. That's basically how it works. The only medical cannabis product that's registered in Australia is Sativex, and it's only registered for the treatment of muscle spasticity associated with MS. So a doctor who's seeing a patient with with that symptom can prescribe Sativex to that patient appropriately. 
all of the other medications that we're talking about, the 130 medications, are unregistered medications. So these companies haven't done, you know, the multi-million dollar clinical trials required to prove that this specific cannabis product treats this specific pain condition. And normally doctors aren't, aren't, aren't meant to prescribe products that haven't been registered, but they can. So there are these exemptions, these special access schemes that are there. It, they were originally set up to allow doctors to prescribe drugs that had been registered overseas, but hadn't yet been brought to Australia, basically. But they can also be used to, to prescribe unregistered medicines, medicines that haven't been registered sort of anywhere. So there are two ways in which doctors can access, can go down the special, there are two special access routes, I guess. One is to become an authorized prescriber, which is lengthy and difficult and expensive. And most patients don't, don't go down that, most doctors don't go down that route. So we'll leave that to one side. But the main route that, that, that is used to prescribe cannabis in Australia is called the special access scheme category B. What that means is, depending on where you are, which state, because different state laws, but in Victoria, in New South Wales, in Queensland, uh, any general practitioner can go onto the TGA's website and put in a request for permission to prescribe an unregistered cannabis medicine. So, you know, they'll fill in a form saying, my patient has this condition, they've tried these medications, I want to give them this cannabis product, and this is why I think it's appropriate. And then the TGA comes back and approves their request. And the TGA always, it has never rejected any SASB request since 2016. So it's largely a formality at this stage. Once the doctor has that approval, then they can write the prescription for the product. And then it happens mostly like any other medication. So doctor writes script, patient takes script to pharmacy, pharmacy dispenses medication. Pretty straightforward. So in theory, any doctor in Australia, mostly depending on where you are, there are some states that are still uh, falling behind. Any doctor can pursue that for their patient, but most of them won't because they don't know that medical cannabis is legal or they don't believe that medical cannabis is effective or they don't know how to do a, a special access scheme category B approval uh, or they don't have the time. You know, there's any number of reasons why doctors are reluctant to, to pursue that for their patients. Um, so that's the first challenge that patients hit when they try to look at medical cannabis is, okay, well, I want to, you know, what does my doctor know about it? Nothing. Okay. Shit. Sure. What do I do now? Um, you know, get a, get online, Google. You know, doctor cannabis Sydney. Um, you know, and they and they usually come across one of these cannabis clinics. So there are these specialist medical clinics in Australia. There's a bunch of them. Uh, my company is affiliated with one of them, who specialise in um, consulting about medical cannabis and prescribing medical cannabis. The, the problem with the clinics is they're quite expensive. So they charge like specialist fees. So it's like you know a few hundred bucks basically before you're through. But then you know, you, usually you go to the clinic or your doctor does it themselves, which would be preferable. Um, and then you get your prescription, you go to the pharmacy. And the next challenge that you hit is that's bloody expensive. So the medical cannabis patients in Australia are paying on average about $400 a month on their medication, depending on their dose. And, it, you know, the cost can really vary because, you know, you might, you might be someone who only needs a very small dose. So you're spending $100 a month or you might be one of those unfortunate children who has rare pediatric epilepsy and then you're spending like 50 grand a year on your CBD oil, right? That's so fucked. Totally impossible, right? Because those kids, they require like tons of CBD, like loads, like a super high dose all the time to have an effect. So that's why it's so expensive for them. And none of these products are on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. So none of them are subsidized by the government. 
So your first challenge as a patient is finding a doctor. Your second challenge is affording the medication. And then your third challenge is Australia's driving laws. So, you know, in New South Wales, where I am, the law says that, that if you are, if you're stopped by a cop and they do a, a, a saliva test and they detect, detect the presence of THC, then that's an offence. And it doesn't matter if you're impaired or not. It doesn't matter if you're a prescribed medical cannabis patient taking your medication as recommended by your doctor or not. It's an offence. So the laws haven't changed. Um, the driving laws around Australia haven't changed to reflect the legal, the legal nature of medical cannabis. Um, and there are problems with the whole, I mean, the whole scheme is just completely uh, bullcrap, basically, right? Because it doesn't test, it doesn't test for impairment, it tests for the presence of THC that, that is sometimes correlated, but not always correlated with impairment. Um, no one has ever demonstrated that these random roadside drug tests for cannabis uh, do anything to improve uh, safety. No one has demonstrated that, they, that introducing that scheme has reduced, uh, you know, cannabis related uh, accidents on the roads. Um, and it's a, it's a really expensive and time-consuming way to, uh, to take people's licenses away from them. But for medical cannabis patients, it really sucks, right? Because like, you know, you're not, you're not getting high. You're taking a small amount of THC probably at night to help you sleep. You're totally fine in the morning. Like you're not impaired at all. But while you're taking that medication, you're, and if you continue to drive, you're running the risk of losing your license and, and you know, and being fine. Um, which is so just I, disgraceful. So yeah. if I sum it up, so it's you got to jump through all these hurdles to get a doctor to see you. Mm. You finally get your doctor's going to figure out: Do I actually know what the fuck you're talking about? Mm-hmm. They prescribe you something. You go perfect. You got my prescription. You go in there. You spend your whole month's paycheck on getting your medicine that you need. You take your medicine. You drive to work the next day, and you get pulled over. You lose your license. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty safe. Pretty crap. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Sounds good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the the good news is that at the end of 2019, over 1,400 different doctors in Australia had prescribed cannabis at least once. So doctors are, 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 are picking this up and running with it. We're, not gonna, we're never gonna get all the doctors or even most of the doctors, but, but doctor awareness is increasing, more doctors are prescribing it, so that's good. Product costs are coming down. Um, so from uh, my company produces these free um, market research reports. So we did one in September last year and we did one in March this year. And over that six month time period, uh, average prices came down by 17%. Um, and that price decline is continuing. So products are getting cheaper. On the driving laws, um, I mean, basically no one, no one seems, no one in a position to do anything about the driving laws seems to give it, seems to care. Um, about the fact that we are threatening to, to take licenses away from patients who are prescribed their medication. Just on the driving law, not to go on about it, it's a real bugbear of mine, but in New South Wales, right, if you're prescribed methadone or Oxycontin or a sleeping pill by your doctor and you get behind the wheel and you're not impaired, right, but you test positive for methadone, there is a legal defence that you can use saying, uh, Your Honor, like, you know, I did what my doctor told me and I wasn't impaired. That is possible for methadone, but not for medical cannabis. That pisses me off. That's a joke. That's a joke. Huge joke. Yeah. What, what, the, the driving law. So when, when recreational cannabis, you know, is, is yeah. legal, mm-hmm. um, the driving laws, is there a test or is it going to be expensive to conduct a test or? Well, here's the thing, right? So, so, so probably not. 
First of all, we should, we should keep in mind, Australia is one of the only countries in the world that does random roadside drug tests for cannabis. One of the only countries in the world that does it. And there's a good reason for that. Um, the tests that they use have been shown to be insensitive and inaccurate in detecting the presence of THC. And detecting the presence of THC has not been shown. You can't, testing for the presence of THC does nothing to tell you how impaired someone is. So there's, there's two different, very difficult problems that need to be overcome here, right? The first one is developing a test that is accurate and sensitive uh, at, at the roadside that's cheap and quick that the cops can use. And the second one is figuring out the, the science behind testing for a level of THC in the saliva and impairment. Neither of those problems have been solved yet. Um, you know, so there's lots of hype, you know, I, all the time I read stories about how oh, this Californian startup or this Israeli startup or whomever it is, you know, finally they're going to crack it. They're going to, they're going to have an accurate, um, a super accurate THC breathalyzer. And I'm like, great, well, that's half the problem. Um, but, you know, even if we, te <laughs> even testing people's blood levels of THC does not strongly correlate. We cannot predict how impaired someone is. So, you know, even if you're taking someone's blood and you're testing for THC levels, that doesn't necessarily tell you how impaired they are. I think, I think it's a problem without a solution. I think the only reasonable approach is to not test for THC at the roadside, randomly at least. Like if someone's, you know, in a car accident or whatever, by law, you do a blood test on them, which is fine and appropriate. Um, and, you know, maybe if they had like super high levels of THC, you could say, oh, maybe you were impaired. You know, you're probably impaired. That would be fine. But random roadside drug testing is just bunk. Um, you know, in some places in the States, I know they've gone back to, you know, those, uh, those, you know, sort of roadside sobriety tests, like touch your nose, walk in a straight line, that kind of thing, just because it's an impossible problem. It's funny nuts. It's interesting. All the, all this stuff, because it's so yeah. new and, and a lot of people are interested. I mean, we've had heaps of people hit us up and right. wanted to know more. So we're, yeah. we're so glad to have you on to answer these yeah. questions, man. Um, and, and I suppose the stigma, I suppose we spoke earlier about mm. all different types of people who use cannabis, hemp and all that sort of stuff. How do we remove the stigma in terms of people associate marijuana as the gateway drug or cannabis as the gateway drug and you know or they see it as completely medicinal How, is there a, is there a space in the middle so first of all with medical cannabis public support is super in favor of medical cannabis something like over 80 percent of australians think that that medical cannabis should be available and when the medical cannabis legislation went to parliament in 2016 it got unanimous support. Every politician, every, every MP and every senator voted in favour of that legislation. And it actually broke records for how quickly it, it, it got passed by both houses and, and got, made, uh, got implemented into law. So public support for medical cannabis is, is comprehensive and concrete. Public support for recreational cannabis, I think, is sitting at, at about 45% in favour uh, across the country. And that, that tends to... Um, younger people, very young people are against it. This is a crude interpretation, right? Very young people are against it. Anyone between sort of 18 and 35 is in favor. And then after that, public support tends to, tends to taper off. So all the very older people are, are less likely to support recreational cannabis. But your average medical cannabis patient in Australia is 60 years old. So, you know, I really? think, yeah. So, you know, because these are chronic, chronically ill, chronic yeah. pain patients, right? Like, that's the sort of that's the sort of patient that is most likely to get access to medical cannabis in Australia, and and they're also you know a, a very wealthy uh, generation, right? That's sort of you know fifty to seventy year old uh, generation, yeah. right? 
the boomers. Um, so I think I think the the implementation of Australia's medical cannabis scheme and the fact that so many people who are so against recreational cannabis are so much in favour of medical cannabis and it's all of their friends and family who are getting access to it and using it and seeing benefits from it. I think that's where public support will start to shift is in that older demographic, partly because of you know, medical cannabis and, and partly because as time goes on, generations move through um, and, uh, and, you know, people who, um, you know, a lot, a lot of those older folks, like, you know, my parents' generation, you know, they grew up in the Reef of Madness era or something close to it, right? You know, like, um, you know, pot rots your brain, uh, you know, it'll make you psychotic, um, it'll make you dumb. And, you know, we're, you know, there are so many public figures now who are, um, who are open about their cannabis use and their successful, intelligent, capable people uh, who, are, who are really helping to remove some of that stigma, I think, yeah. Talk about what the work you you're, you personally are doing. So, like, sure. I know we've we've got you on. We've been on pick your brain for the last forty five, which has been <laughs> uh -huh. fantastic. But uh -huh. an opportunity to talk about like what yep. who what sort of type of companies you're working with? Uh -huh. Like, what what are the main yep. things that you do on a day to day basis? Sure. So I'm I'm the principal consultant at Freshleaf Analytics, and Freshleaf Analytics is a uh, medical cannabis consulting company. So we do uh, strategic consulting and market research and data analytics about medical cannabis. Um, so we work with all of the major uh, local and international product companies at the moment. Um, and essentially we do custom research and reports for them, usually around the, the sort of con the, 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 po the pointy end of the supply chain. So, you know, what are, what are, pa what are patients being prescribed? What are they being prescribed it for? How much are they paying? Um, you know, what are the products out there? What, what, you know, where are the prices moving? That sort of work. Mm -hmm. So we do sort of custom reports um, and, and market research. So, you know, for example, earlier on in this year, we ran a project for a few clients where we wanted to understand uh, how quickly new patients drop off and why they stop using medical cannabis. So because, because I'm part of a larger organization that also includes a medical cannabis clinic, we were able to, um, to look at anonymized, you know, patient data and to analyze, you know, what kinds of patients, you know, people who are prescribed this kind of product tend to stick with it longer than people who are prescribed that kind of product, that kind of work. Um, so usually we work for, yeah, medical cannabis product companies, but we've also done some work for some regulators. So we did a project for um, a, um, a, a government department in New Zealand um, last year. Um, and, uh, you know, we work with like the industry association and, um, yeah, so bits and pieces here and there. It must be interesting um, working on that line because mm. medicinal cannabis for the cannabis sector as a whole means there's, uh, you're dipping your toes over, back, over, back between is it tiring or you like that? <laughs> I love it. I love, I love the work that I get to do when I get to do it. It's bloody hard work though. Like not just the work, but also the sector. So I don't know if you guys have been keeping an eye on like what's been going on in the money markets or the stock markets with regards to cannabis. But basically the, the last few years has been super, super ridiculous um, increases in valuations on these companies, especially Canadians, people, you know, throwing money around building, you know, the largest greenhouse you've ever seen, you know, the biggest extraction facility you've ever seen, you know, we're setting up in 17 different countries simultaneously, you know, we're going to own the world. And that all, that party, um, you know, the music stopped like early 2019 when everyone realized that, well, actually this was all just people bumping up their stock prices to make a quick buck 
um, by buying these super unproductive assets that were never actually going to be profitable. Um, and the house of cards sort of, sort of started falling down around people's heads um, all throughout 2019. So at the end of 2019, and you know, it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, um, it doesn't just hurt the Canadians. Um, it hurts everybody because, you know, when, when people start seeing, oh, the biggest cannabis company in the world has had their valuation cut in half in the last six months, uh, it makes people feel pessimistic about giving money to, to other companies in other jurisdictions that, that are behaving more appropriately than the Canadians. Anyway, it casts us all in a bad light. So, so November, December last year, everyone was talking about how there was going to be this bloodbath that was coming. All these companies were going to collapse. There's going to be huge layoffs. Everyone was quite concerned. And then COVID hit, right? So this year has been really rough for, for, the, for the Aussie companies, um, you know, because none of them are profitable yet. They're just getting on their feet. They, they were a lot of them were relying on going back to the market to ask for more money to keep them going because they need a couple more years to, to to get their feet under their desk and to and to start you know running a successful business and now everyone's just battening down the hatches so that's been tough um, for, for everybody including us um, you know we've still got work coming through which is nice but but it but it's um a lot of the momentum has been lost as far as the industry goes I mean everyone's hurting right now right like COVID sucks um, in general so um, I would say that that that's been a bit a bit challenging, and then also the patients, right? So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I I was never interested in medical cannabis to begin with. I was I thought it was a, a the, I remember I remember the first thing I learned about medical cannabis was someone telling me, oh yeah, the Israelis they've managed to grow this cannabis plant that like has all the medical effects but doesn't get you high. And I was like, what a bunch of party poopers. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. Um, but then you speak to enough patients and you hear their, st- and it's brutal, like some of these people, their experiences, and it, and it really, it really radicalizes you. Um, and so I've, you know, I've done a full 180, like I'm, I'm, I'm a full uh, pro-medical, um, basically, almost exclusively focusing on medical at the moment. Right? And our patient access system used to really suck. Like it's challenging at the moment, but it used to be basically tokenistic and, and completely non-functional. So, you know, over the last few years, it's been a really hard slog to, to, to beat that into something that is approximating a functional access framework. And we're finally getting to the point now, I feel, where it's, where it's actually starting to work properly. But you still have patients who can't find the doctor, can't afford $400 a month, need to drive. Um, and, you know, I'm speaking with people about those issues all the time. So that... That is both energizing because it keeps you motivated, but it can also be quite demoralizing because of, of how uh, uninterested uh, people in positions of power are to, to do anything about it. Um, so, yeah, it swings and roundabouts, I guess. It's just interesting. I, I look at some of those, you talk about the stock markets and the one, some of the Aussie companies, and yeah. you get on the hype train, things are moving, toot, toot, here comes the stock, yeah. and they've got, but none of them are making any money. That's, I think that's really, but they have to, like you said before, there's all this regulation. It's only room for big players at the moment yep. where they have to spend all this money up front with no guarantee of anything coming backwards. So there's no law, they haven't had the law reform. We haven't had yep. the, the opportunity for patients to access. What is the incentive for companies from, I don't, I don't really see the incentive of jumping into the market at the moment. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I has um, $50 million to sell the factory. <laughs> no market. You know? Yeah. 
I think in some ways it's a case of, you know, if you build it, they will come. Like there, there is, despite all of the challenges and there are many challenges, the potential is still there. You know, there, there is demand for these products. People are using these products. People are getting benefit from them. There's something, there's still something there. There's a, there's, there's a, um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's a long-term light, but it's definitely there. So I think from a commercial perspective, if you have the, if you, if you're able to um, hold on for long enough, and run things properly and be smart. Eventually, it's going to pay off. So I think that's and you know that's in it. That's that's uh, that's the situation for them. But then of course you know like a lot of these companies got st- in Australia anyway. They kicked off in 2015, 2016. You know, back in the good old days when there was just you, know, you could fall over and hit a pot of money. And they've committed themselves to a certain strategy. That they've invested in a facility. Um, you know, there's no there's no going back. You can't turn the ship. Um, so, you know, you've got you've to gotta just hunker down and, and weather the storm and, and hope that, that, that your strategy, you know, sort of pays off at the end. I think, like, you know, for my, for my money, the, the, comp- the Australian companies that are probably going to do the best long-term are the ones who choose to focus on the, on the very pharmaceutical end of the spectrum. I think there's tons of super cheap, generic, mid-range, you know, oils, you know, standard generic products coming out of, of Canada, Europe, China, and playing in that space is just going to be a price war. But if you can, if you can focus on, you know, the, the drug, the pharmaceutical drug side of cannabis, I think that's probably the best opportunity long-term for Aussie companies, you know, because if you can get a drug, if you can get a drug that is registered for, for neuropathic pain, um, that means that you are able to, to, to apply for for pharmaceutical benefit scheme subsidy, right? And that's where the real that's where the real commercial opportunity is. Is okay. Suddenly, instead of patients having to pay four hundred dollars a month, it's six dollars fifty a month, and the government takes care of the rest. Um, but to that's do good. that, you've got to, you've got to do the clinical trials, and you've got to prove that your product is is good value for money. Basically, that's insane. Oh, I I just four hundred bucks down to six dollars fifty. Right. I just feel so sad for all the people who are who are paying for that at the moment who are missing out. It makes me really sad. It is sad. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> well, I reckon that we've peppered you with as many questions. I've, I've ticked <laughs> off everything I had on my, um, on my list to ask. I'm, I'm happy. Easy. You've rocked oh. our world. No, you've rocked our world. <laughs> Honestly, no, it's really good to, to get your insights mate. and opinions because like I said, we have lots of people asking right. questions about it and there's, really you know, okay. and, and people, you know, mm have an interest because yes they say one side it's illegal and it's a bit like what's going on and the other side the medicinal side and Mm. the opportunities there for a lot of founders and entrepreneurs because i know um they're they're trying to dip their toe into that space so i think the information that you've given us today is will help a lot of people oh cheers yeah it was fun love running my mouth you know it's been great so my biggest takeaway is you got to find millions of dollars before you can can play the game my, my my big takeaway like there's no money in cannabis if you're, if you're getting if you're getting into cannabis because you want to make money, think again. You know, the, the people the people who are in in the cannabis industry are in it because they're fascinated by it or they're passionate about it. Um, you know, the the quick and easy money does not exist at least in our market. I think it's pretty it's pretty cool to get to talk to Reese. Probably the most interesting thing that I reckon came out of that conversation for me was talking about the proposed uh, New Zealand referendum on cannabis and their. Um, commercial framework that's been proposed that goes hand in hand with legalization. It was just really interesting to see how they've taken some social 
constraints in there. So like be a good human. It's a mm. weird thing to put on, put a restraint onto a new market to try and make them be better people. I wonder if it happens anywhere else. Probably a question that I should have asked. But, you should ask, um, yeah. Yeah, but you know what I mean? That, that's a strange, and I suppose like New Zealand are the guinea pigs, but I just think now Australia's got, you know, the best chance to, to, you know, explore something new and something trending and something that, you know, our generation, our crop of people are interested in and keen on exploring. So sedate the state. Yes, I hate this day. I think there's also the, what else I find interesting is that pretty much those people who are trying to get to the gold rush, there is no gold rush. You could hear it. The, the biggest companies are still not really making any profit. I was also shocked at the fact that a, it can cost patients 400 bucks. And as soon as it gets on this um, approved medicines, it goes to $6.50. Yeah. There's a big pharma. Are you telling me that how can something go from 400 bucks to $6? I don't understand that. Someone, yeah. I don't, we're probably going to get someone on from a pharma company to explain to me what, how, how do they do their 10,000% markups? How does that work? Yeah. And like, what's it's like being a parking inspector, like a ticket inspector. Like, how do you sleep? You scum. It's pretty, it's a rough job, isn't it? You'd want to get paid a fortune, wouldn't you? Anyway, that was seriously, if, if anyone's interested in the cannabis space, we thought we'd ask the questions to figure out what really is going on. And I, hope, I think we've done a pretty good job at this one because he was, I, I've listened to the, after listening to this back and then trying to do these learnings, like I enjoyed the conversation when I had it and I enjoyed listening back to it. So, And that's rare for you, you know what I mean? <laughs> you normally guest is done, you're out of here, you're dead to me. So I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a relationship builder, so I'll always keep coming in and checking back, but you're one and done type of character. So it's a bit unique for you, you're growing. I'm growing, have a listen. Mate. <laughs>